You know, I grew up in a uh, segregated community, and I often uh, wanted to know why this was so. Just about everything that I choose to do in life has something to do with that, with breaking down barriers. Welcome to First Person, a weekly one-on-one conversation. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today I want you to meet a woman with a unique gift and message. I'll introduce you to Odessa Settles in just a few moments. But first, let me tell you about our website, where you can go for not only more information about today's guest, but also an extension of our interview, which we couldn't fit into today's broadcast. At firstpersoninterview.com, you'll be able to hear the rest of the conversation. Plus, you can explore our archive of past programs, check the calendar for upcoming broadcasts, and contact us via email. It's all at firstpersoninterview.com. Odessa Settles comes from Nashville, Tennessee, and you'll hear about her family in a moment. But I've heard Odessa sing some of her songs now several times, and every time I hear her, something stirs my soul as she sings and tells the story of African Americans and their struggle for freedom. She's part of the group, The Princely Players, and we'll put a link on our website to that group. But I invited Odessa to join me at the Mole Inn Studio in Franklin, Tennessee, for a conversation about her life and the message of her music. I was born and raised here in Nashville, Tennessee in a uh, traditional working-class family. I had seven brothers, and it was me. (laughs) That's a story in itself, I'll bet. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It was interesting being in that particular mixture. You know, uh, my father made the the eighth male, so it was interesting because my mom grew up in a a traditional household as well where the women kind of took care of the males. (laughs) So my brothers... uh, and my father, uh, they were well taken care of. You know, we set food in front of them, everything with putting a fork to their mouths, which was interesting. Uh, they had to learn later, though, once they got married. My brothers did, you know, because th- their wives were definitely not putting up with that. <laughs> so did you have any alliances with any of those brothers or one in particular? Or? There were two sets, in a sense, and I was right in the middle. And I ended up being uh, closely aligned with the uh, younger group. So there were four up under me. Uh, And we hung together more so than the older ones. They had their own thing. So... You kind of ran as a pack, huh? Yes. Uh (laughs) So it's interesting. And still, it's still sort of like that today, too. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Was music always a part of your family experience? Music was. It was uh, as long as I can remember. There has been music uh, in our family. It's been part of our daily lives almost. My father was a musician as well as a builder. He was a uh, professional singer in a sense because he was part of a group. One of my favorite groups that he had was the uh, Golden Harp Jubilee Singers. Hmm. And one of the reasons is from from a uh, musical standpoint, that's when my siblings and I really learned harmonies because they rehearsed at our home. So they, was, were, they were singing gospel? They were singing gospel. It was like a, they call it quartet singing, but it's, you know, they had about five or six people in the group and a uh, guitar player. So it was nice uh, from a social standpoint, too, because when they rehearsed at the home, I mean, people in the neighborhood would bring chairs and set them out on our lawn <laughs> just to listen to the rehearsal during the summer you know, months. Some of the kids would be just hanging out. So you would see all these people peeping through the doors. And my mom would make coffee and and uh, 
you know, nourishments for uh, the members of the group and everything. So it was fun. It was kind of a fun time to Well, like, would have loved to have been there. Yeah. One of those uh, family concerts. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah. And we would be singing in the other room, you know. So, so at an early age, we realized that, oh, you know, this particular voice is suitable to you, you know. So that was great. So did mom and dad encourage you then to start singing along? It was it was one of those things like being born into it, you know. Music was just a part of our life. Hmm. It was we were encouraged just by example, you know, uh, because my mother, my father sang, then we did too. You know, we wanted to do what he did, so that's what we did. My mother was not a professional singer, but she could sing. I loved her voice. She had this rich alto sounding voice like a Nina Simone. Um, she she did sing in the uh, church choir, so it was always a, a treat to hear her when she would lead a song. Years later, your father was a part of the Fairfield Four? Yes, yes. He actually joined uh, rather late in life. He was uh, in uh, 1992, I think, or 1991 is when he came along into the group. This was uh, after Reverend Sam McCrary passed away, and Preacher Man, if anybody can remember him. He did sing with Preacher Man a little bit. But, um, but after uh, Reverend Sam McCrary uh, uh, passed away, then my father was part of the group. So he was there until his demise in 99. He passed away in 1999. Did you go through all the piano lessons and that sort of thing as a kid or just pick it up naturally? What happened with you? I did have some piano lessons, you know, starting maybe at uh, age 12, um, 12 through maybe maybe about 15, three years, rather. So it, Was that a chore for you? or No, no. I loved it. I really loved it. You know, we had a piano at our home. Um, so I took some lessons, and it, it definitely helped me a lot. You know, I wish I could have taken them longer, but it, it turns out that that was not the case. So I can play piano, and I, you know, do teach myself uh, pieces that I'm interested in learning. But you've learned to play stringed instruments. I'm learning those on my own as well. <laughs> so my favorite uh, right now is the ukulele. I have a collection of baritone ukuleles and have had actually two made for me that are kind of atypical in size. I like the rich sound of the baritone. So my larger one I call a bass, <laughs> a bass ukulele. Of all the instruments in the world, why that particular one? Well, I've always loved the string instrument. You know, I like atypical instruments, especially for um, accompaniment, you know, vocal accompaniment, which is my favorite uh, instrument, singing. Um, but the ukulele, the ukulele is what they call it, is easier to play than the guitar. <laughs> I do have a guitar. I have guitars as well, and I can play some, but but not as well as the uh, ukulele. But it's pronounced so ukulele. It's ukulele. I've never heard that before. Yeah, and I'm still learning. You know, it's a learn. It's a it's in <laughs> a learning process. <laughs> so um, I can play well enough to show people what I want. You know, so. That's Music it. always has been and probably always will be a part of your life, Odessa, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there's there's other things that you do in life as well. I'd love for you to tell everybody what you do vocationally. Vocationally, I am a registered nurse in a, uh, advanced practice. I work with uh, children who are born preterm. 
Uh, these are babies who are very small and uh, at risk. Um, I think the smallest baby I've ever taken care of was maybe weighed 15 ounces oh. at, at birth. Um, that baby survived. Um, That's incredible. <laughs> yes, it is. It's amazing. You know, life is amazing. Could you hold him or her in the palm of your hand? Uh, pretty much so. Pretty much so. It's tiny, tiny little girl. Um, that must take a, a big emotional investment on your part. It really does, you know. But um, it's it also, I'm fortunate to work in a developmental follow-up clinic as well where I can see these children develop over a period of three years. And to see how they turn out is just amazing. Hmm. You know, they teach me a lot about life and what's important and what's not, you know. Do the two come together? Does your music ever enter into that world? It definitely does. You know, I'm a, a novice songwriter, and I write a lot about the, the children, you know, that I take care of. The ones that I normally write about, you know, not all the stories are great. From a social standpoint, there are some uh, families who are unable to take care of the children as well as they should. There are some babies that do not make it because of that, mm. you know, and those are the ones that I usually sing about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what would you sing to them? Ah, my goodness. Um, I wish I had bought some of the uh, the lyrics that I um just a, just a tune but, or a phrase. But there's a song uh, that I didn't write, actually, that I sing a lot. Um, this one is Brown Baby. Uh, brown baby, brown baby, when you grow up, I want you to drink from the plenty cup. I want you to stand up tall and proud. I want you to speak up clear and loud, my brown baby. So I end up singing a lot of of, um, lullabies, you know, to babies. Um, But it, you know, it it becomes emotional sometimes, very emotionally um, charged um, at some visits, you know, when I know that the the social situation is not as uh, good as sure. it should be. What do you think is going on in those little minds as you as you sing those songs to them? Mm-hmm. I mean, it obviously must have an effect on them. Yeah, they respond. I think the parents, you know, even the ones that, you know, in good social situations, and I sing to all of them, by the way, um, it's one of the ways to relax the the uh, the families, <laughs> even the parents. You know, uh, they may come in with a baby that's crying, and you know, and they say he, he cries like this all the time. Yeah, they're He's at the end of the rope, aren't they? <laughs> and so I take the baby up and I start singing to him, and and the baby quiets and listens. And the parents always say, oh, can we take you home with us? <laughs> <laughs> I said, just sing to them. Yeah, but we don't sound like that. Yeah. I said, that's not what they're looking for. Trust me. You need a CD sing. of lullabies is what you yeah, need. Yeah, that's one of the things that um, uh, my father regretted because he wanted to actually um, record a CD of lullabies. And I might just carry that out mm. for him, you know. Mm. But that's that's he really liked to sing the uh, the uh, lullabies. Mm. I, I really enjoyed hearing him do those. You miss your father, don't you? A lot. Yeah, he was a great friend, great buddy. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, let's break for just a moment. But when we come back, Odessa sings for us here in the studio. Next time on First Person, you'll hear Jim McBride and hear the heart of a father. And so, you know, for me, uh, that night was a culmination, was a rite of passage, you know, that I'll never forget. It's when my dad communicated how excited he was that I'd given my life to Christ in service to him. Jim is the author of the new book, Rite of Passage. He tells his story and encourages dads to be proactive in shaping their sons and daughters. That's when you join us next time for First Person. Let's return to our studio conversation now in Franklin, Tennessee with Miss Odessa Settles. And I would be remiss to have Odessa here without asking her to sing. So let's go back to the studio as she begins to sing one of those old spirituals now. How long, Jesus, to walk with me? I want Jesus to walk with me while I'm on this teacher's journey. I want Jesus to What pictures are in your head as you sing those songs? I think about um, my journey. You know, I grew up during the height of the Civil Rights Movement. And um, I also grew up in a um, segregated community. And I often uh, wanted to know why this was so. You know, and so what I have done since that time, since growing up, is like spend my time trying to, number one, answer that question and also to break down the barriers, you know. So just about everything that I choose to do in life, you know, musically and uh, socially almost, uh, has something to do with that, with breaking down barriers. How do you go about doing that? Um, you know, one situation at a time, one person at a time. You know, we were talking about our uh, my uh, career as a nurse. I'm going to tell you a story about uh, once I used to uh, transport babies. I was a transport practitioner where we would take the ambulance and go out to community hospitals, maybe about a 100-mile radius of where I worked, stabilize the baby and bring them back to the hospital in a larger hospital. And so I went to pick up a baby once, and the whole entire family was there. So white family. And baby was very ill, needing emergency care. And the father simply said, I don't want you to touch my baby. Oh. Yeah. And, um, and I looked at him, you know, and his whole family was around, so he had to keep up whatever face that he had, you know, for his family. So realizing where he came from, I just simply, to make a long story short, I pulled him aside. I said, can we go in another room, you know? 
And I looked at him and I said, you don't know me and I don't know you. And I said, um, today, this is not about you or me. It's, a, it's about whether or not you want your baby to survive. I said, if you tell me that you don't want me to do anything for your child at this point, I won't. I said, but, and at that particular time, tears were running down his eyes. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, do what you can. And so I, I did that. I had no idea whether or not the baby would make it back to the hospital, you know, at this point. So got him back to the hospital. And at that particular time, you know, I am usually let the children go, at, you know, because I work in another area. Mm-hmm. And so maybe about a couple of months later in the clinic where I follow babies with chronic lung disease, this man comes walking in holding a baby. He walks up to me and he says, you remember me? And I said, yes, I do. He gave me a hug and he said, thank you. So those are the kind of things that you do. It's one person at a time, one situation at a time. You know, if you look at the entire world, it's just too overwhelming. (laughs) It's too overwhelming. That's a remarkable story. You have to bring it home. Many people would compartmentalize their life and say, this is what I do on the job, and this is what I do with my family, this is what I do to have fun. It's Mm -hmm. all the same to you, isn't it? It's all the same. It's all the same. People are people everywhere, wherever it is, whether you're working, whether you're in a grocery store, whether you're walking down the street. My father was like that, too. Mm. I learned that from him. You're your father's daughter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know that you love to tell the story of the plight of the African slave, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'd like for you to talk to me about that and talk to us about that here today. You do it through music? We, um, I'm with a group called the Princely Players, um, and we tell the story about the African-American experience uh, from Africa through the Civil Rights Movement on a show called uh, On the Road to Glory. We do that through a cappella singing and dramatic presentations. So we start off, you know, with an African chant um, coming from Africa and as, you know, people of nobility and, and proud, a proud people, you know, and then we come through that middle passage. And from then on, you know, it kind of goes downhill. You know, we had, of course, we know that initially slavery was like, it was indentured servants at first. And then there was a movement where gradually it changed to racial slavery. And that's when it got really, really bad. So um, we tell that story, you know, but but still, you know, what happened, you know, um, through the music, uh, they, they tell the story of their plight. And they also tell the stories of how they were able to overcome and also escape. You can't tell that story without music, can you? No, you cannot tell it without music. We have such a simplified view of those spirituals, but we really have to look kind of deeper into those songs to really understand them. You can help us do that. Yeah. Well, we know that, you know, historically spirituals, you know, were disseminated through uh, oral tradition. Um, and it was songs of an oppressed people. You know, these songs came from the cotton fields or the camp meetings of, of the slaves. And, you know, what's interesting about the, the spirituals, too, is that it, it, it definitely helped um, 
the uh, Africans assimilate to this country and also kind of uh, padded the relationship between slaveholders and the slaves themselves. Do you have a song in mind that would illustrate that and what, what is really being said in the lyric of the song? Okay. Um, let me think of one. Uh, like this, uh, uh, two, of the, two of the favorite songs of, of, um, of uh, Harriet Tubman, you know, was uh, used in the Underground Railroad was like Still Away. You know, still away, and uh, um, that was that was one of her favorites. And um, so the lyric doesn't mean just steal away to right, glory; it means right. steal away from this oppression. That's correct. You know, and also swing low, sweet chariot. It also could depict a um, direction. You know, the direction that the slaves could go to get away, like uh, when she was. Um, uh, Taking the uh, slaves to a uh, safer uh, state, you know, northern state, then um, those songs would just kind of tell them, you know, what we're getting ready to do. Weren't some of those songs really aimed at the masters getting the message? Yes. That, uh, that one song that I like to bring out is um, uh, You Got a Robe, I Got a Robe, All God's Children Got a Robe. When I get to heaven, I'm going to put on my robe, I'm going to shout all over God's heaven. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Heaven, heaven. <laughs> it's a it's a great song. You know that's the thing about it. It's like in your face, but they, you know, the slaveholders didn't realize it that. was sung with a smile. Sung with a smile, <laughs> yeah. and also beautiful melodies. You know, think about it. Still away, still away, still away to Jesus. That is such a beautiful melody, you know. And you have people who, you know, when they sing that song, they know that it's time to get your things together and let's go. Hmm. You know, so it's it's a, it's amazing how they uh, use those songs. And then what's interesting is like when you move into the uh, civil rights movement, you know, the songs in, during slavery time was very secretive, you know, coded. But then when you came to uh, the civil rights movement, it would, the, the message was overtly stated. Some of the, the, the uh, songs were still used like, ain't going to let nobody turn me around, mm-hmm. or we shall overcome, keep your hands on the plow, go tell it on the mountain, let my people go, or woke up this morning. See, woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus, changed to woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom. You know, I ain't going to let nobody turn me around. I ain't going to let no racism turn me around. So those songs became protests and, and, and overtly stated. You know, people were tired and, and angry. It's time. It's a, it's a new day. You know, we, we wake up, America. You know, so that's what it was all about. <laughs> Odessa settles. Well, listen, this conversation is not over. That day in the studio, Odessa and I kept talking about music and the civil rights movement. We also talked about her involvement with a group called the Princely Players, preserving the African-American experience through song, dance, and drama. And you can hear the rest of this interview and find a link to more information about the Princely Players at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. First Person is a weekly program featuring dialogue that tells someone's unique story and celebrates God's faithfulness. You'll find us at firstpersoninterview.com and on facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. 
Next week, you'll meet Jim McBride, the author of the new book, Rite of Passage. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We'll see you next time, right here for First Person. First Person.